You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. How's everybody? Good, good. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here and so glad that you're with us. Whether you are, uh, those of you in the room, those of you watching online, listening to the podcast later, we're thrilled that you are here for this week two of our series called Everybody In where we are looking at the new mission and vision, the direction and identity for our church. I could not be more thrilled to share this with you, and I am so glad that you made it a priority to hear this today. Uh, Last week, we started out uh, this new thing talking about our mission. We began discussing this idea that, that there's a mission that God has for every church, but there's a specific one that he has for this church in this moment, in this place, right here in the greater Charlotte area, and we were going to be all about that. And, and the song that we just sang or that was sang for us, New Wine, is really, really important for a day like today. Because if you are going to, or if I am going to, take hold of what is next, whether that's in your personal life, whether that's as a church or an organization, if you're going to grab hold of what's next, you have to let go of what was. You have to let go of old habits, of old ways of thinking, of old ways of doing something. You have to fully grab on here and we let go. And that's a scary place to be sometimes. And yet, the more clear we can be about what we're grabbing onto, the more easy it is for us to allow, especially in your spiritual life, to allow God to free up your hands to grab hold of where he's taking you. So that's what we're doing over these next few weeks as we look at where we're heading. So last week, we talked about this mission, this new mission statement for Forest Hill Church, and it's this. It's the big idea of the message today, and it was last week, and it's this, that we are building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. Forest Hill Church's mission is to build bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. We looked last week at a story from the scriptures where Peter goes to a guy very different from him in all the ways you could imagine, and he builds a relationship bridge, and God just shows up and he changes the whole world because of that. We believe that can happen again as we live in to this mission. And if we're really, really successful, like not in the world success, but like if God just chooses to bless us and allow us to, to do this well, that we could become known as the church that builds bridges that connects people to Christ. 
So I was thinking about missions uh, for organizations that are really good at them. They're so good that you know them by their mission statement. I wanted to try this little thing before we get started and see if you can guess the company when I read their mission statement, okay? Okay? There we go. First one. Who is this company? To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. Starbucks, yes. Changing the world, one venti macchiato at a moment. I mean, it is, they are really good at that. You, you get it. Uh, second one, how about this? To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google, of course, they nail this. Nobody goes to Bing. Do you go to Bing? No, you don't. You go to Google, right? This is, this is the thing. They are really, really good at their mission. Uh, how about this one? This is a little trickier. To do everything possible to expand human potential. To do everything possible to expand human potential. Would you be surprised if I told you it's Nike? <laughs> Nike's mission is to expand human potential. Right now, all over the country and all over the world, they're expanding the potential of parents' wallets as they release Air Force Ones and the Air Jordans again, and they're like $1,000 for some of the, They are really stretching things, but their, their mission stated is to expand human potential. So they use nanotechnology in their shoes. They are working really hard to push. And all of those companies, even though you can, you can guess some of them and, and you know them by their mission, part of the reason that we know them so well is not just what they say they want to be about. It's how they go about doing it. See, lots of coffee companies can bring a good cup of coffee, but, but Starbucks intentionally creates through some values that they embrace and that they embody, they create environments that are supposed to inspire you, whether that's seeing on the wall, the fair trade farmers who are growing your um, shade grown coffee and how it gets to you, to the stuff they put on their cups. They're always thinking of how to inspire humans through a cup of coffee. So if Forest Hill Church got really, really good at being known for our mission, one of the ways that's going to happen is when we fully embrace and live out these values, these principles. I'm sure mission statements get painted on the walls of companies all over the place, but the people who actually do the work day in and day out, there are some principles that they put into practice and they can line themselves up to see how am I doing regarding the culture that we want to create. So I'm going to tell you today about the culture that we're going to create here at Forest Hill Church. It's going to be uh, an opportunity for every single one of us to grow individually and collectively as we embrace and do this, I believe God will bring success and fruitfulness in the mission that he has placed us on. So before we jump into that, we're talking today about basically this idea that there are principles, foundational things that we need to embrace. And I want to read for you uh, one passage of scripture that contains really when you boil it all down, the, the principle behind the mission that God has been after throughout the entire course of human history. It's found in Ephesians 2. I'm going to ask if you're able, would you stand as we read? I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 2, first five verses, then I'm going to skip to verse 12 and read a few more, and then, uh, and then I'll have you seated. So listen to this as God's primary principal value for his work in the world. Paul's writing this, and he's writing to a group of people that had become believers, followers of Christ, uh, but they didn't start out in the same place that he did. They weren't Jewish, and so they're beginning from another background, and he's reminding them of their past and their present and then their future. He says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Paul says we were waiting the impending judgment that was to come. Like the shadow from a bomber plane flying above us, the bombs dropping, it's coming. There's no escaping this. We're just waiting. And then the two words that change everything. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, this beautiful line, you were saved by grace. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. You were outside, disconnected. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law, consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself, get this, one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. This is God's word. You can be seated. A lot of words. Let me boil it down for you. You and I didn't have a prayer. We were going to be disconnected and separated from God forever, but God in a moment, only because he wanted to, chose to rescue and save all of us who would accept the invitation. He did it not because of our performance. He did it simply because he was enamored with you and me and he wanted us in the family. And so he gave his life on the cross. He resurrected from the dead and now he invites us to come in. And then on top of that, he says there's a major division between those of you who are a part of the family by blood or by ethnicity and those who are far away. And I'm gonna deal with that too. So in his own body, Christ put to death the hostility. In essence, he says there are no more reasons if you're in Christ, if you've come into this family, there are no more reasons for you to be separate. Nothing that the world, that culture, that, that anything that causes you to tribe up, to kind of separate up, none of that matters anymore. Your oneness is found in him. That's the principle by which every church and every mission should operate on, bringing the gospel and separating the hostility and the divisions. That's how it is in the value, but in practice, it gets kind of messy. You have to then take that and how do you do that in real life? And so we look at the early church at a picture from Acts 2 of how this group of believers who had heard those words from Jesus, who had read those words from Paul, who began to live out the faith in a new way, a really striking way, how they did it. In Acts 2.42, we read this. It says, that group from, from all kinds of backgrounds devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, like the fundamentals, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. In essence, we boiled it down to like, let's keep learning about this Jesus and about what God is doing. Let's be in community with each other and let's pray. And then it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. It's almost like God said, the more you get down to the basics, the more I'm gonna show up and blow your mind. 
Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. Listen to this. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They're in each other's homes. They're, they're making sure they're all taken care of. People aren't acting as if their stuff is just their stuff. This is a brand new way of thinking and being. It says they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. So the principle put into practice yields this next line. This is the product. And every day, the Lord added to their numbers those who are being saved. When we get back to the basics, we put it into practice in a community across all the things that should divide us. God chooses to bring and add people to his family. When we build bridges that connect everyone to Christ, to this dynamic life that he's offered, God does the work, right? So, so that's kind of our principle and practice. As we move forward for today, I'm going to lay out some values, some ways that we're going to do this as a church. And I'm going to ask you, and I'm asking myself, that I would begin to cultivate this and grow it in my own life. Because we're about the mission, but there's a certain way we want to go about doing that mission because we believe God's placed us here for this purpose right now. So let me start. On your outline that you got handed when you walked in, one side there are four essentials and a bunch of scripture references. Then some, some space for you to write notes. I hope you don't write big. On the back side are a list of essentials, and we'll talk about more of those in just a second. But I'm going to go really fast today because I got a lot to, to cover, and our production people are really mean. They beat me if I go too long. So here we go. I want you to buckle up and get ready. First value we as a church stand on the essentials. We stand on the essentials. We keep Jesus first, we prioritize the gospel, we're rooted in the authority of Scripture. And we're led by the Holy Spirit. Foundational to any church. This is the orthodox evangelical position of any church that says, I'm falling in line with what God has always been doing in, in the course of scripture, in the course of history in his church. We are going to be about that. Here's the, what that means. There are all kinds of things, and, and you've probably been a part of it. You've seen it before. There are all kinds of things that can trip a church up that they can fight about, the way that you baptize somebody or don't, how you pray or don't, all kinds of things that are, that are really, they're important, but they're not essential. And we are, as a church, are going to say, and we've never done this, we're not going to allow those non-essential things to create divisions from us and fight over stupid stuff because there's a whole world that needs to be served and brought this message, and we're keeping that the main thing. Jesus is going to be our priority. We, we are going to do, Paul says it this way, and he talks about in this really beautiful passage in Colossians 1. I just want to read it to you. Here's how he describes Jesus being priority, and, and this is the way our lives need to be as well. He says, Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Everything is for him. He's before all things and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You see how many first, primary, ultimate things? Jesus is the point. So that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The point of that passage is everything that you and I do is 
about, by, for, through, and with Jesus. And we're going to keep ourselves laser focused on that. But secondly, we're going to also stand on the authority of Scripture. See, we live in a time, and you know this, we live in a moment where it's very, culture's changing so rapidly. And, and there's so many things that come up. If you allow yourself to get blown by every new thought, every new worldview, every new uh, decision that comes into play because of how the world has progressed, if you don't have a solid foundation to stand on, you will be tossed, turned, blown away, absolutely confused. And just like my brother, when he was in the military, he went to basic training and they taught him, if you've been there as well, like in the, in the, the thick of war, in the fog of war, when uncertainty and your emotions come up, you've got to go back to your training, go back to the basics. That's, that's what this is. We believe all of scripture is inspired by God and useful and that all of it has authority over our lives. So we're not going to invent new stuff. We're not going to invent new ways of thinking about God or, or Jesus in this. We're going to stand on the foundational truths of the faith. But we're going to interpret and use that in a way that helps us reach the people that we need to reach to be bridge builders in our community. We're going to stand on the essentials. We're starting in two weeks um, a series on the Gospel of Mark. We're just going to look week by week, chapter by chapter, at Jesus' life and how he lived out the dynamic life we're talking about and how you and I can find it. It's going to be a powerful way for us to just immerse ourselves in the scriptures and remind ourselves that that is our foundation. That when you get confused, you go back to the basics. I'm hoping that that's going to help because in just a week or so, I'm about to, uh, to step into a journey uh, that's scary. It's a brand new thing for me. Um, I'm about to become a volunteer head coach for my daughter's soccer team. And I, that's right. And I know nothing about soccer. I'm not joking. I mean, I get the basics, like the ball goes in the net and you can't use your hands. But beyond that, I'm pretty useless. And, and the whole, you know what I'm doing? The whole reason that I said yes to this is because Jessica told me to. But, but really, it's because... I, um, I believe that there are some basics, some fundamentals that the, the person from Charlotte Soccer Academy promised that she would give me, that when I got confused or the kids were rebelling, I could just go back to these principles. I don't have to know everything. All I have to know are the fundamental practices, right? So in the moment when I'm facing the most intimidating group on the planet, six-year-olds and their parents, and they're realizing that their kid is not going to end up on the U.S. national women's soccer team because of me, I'm going to go back to just the fundamentals. This is what we do in life when we keep Jesus first. The gospel is our priority. Stand on scripture and get led by the Holy Spirit. No matter what comes at you, you pull back and you say, get back to the basics. And that's the kind of church that we're going to be. Second value that we're going to use. First, stand on the essentials. Second, we are going to cultivate kingdom diversity cultivate kingdom diversity. By that, we chose that cultivate word intentionally because we're not saying we are going to welcome diversity or we are going to embrace diversity or we're going to be okay with diversity. We are saying we are going to intentionally do the hard work of planting, tilling, uh, fertilizing, watering the soil to make sure that we are cultivating what we believe God has said his kingdom is supposed to look like. By that, we mean we believe that God's love for the whole world compels us to break down barriers and be a church 
where all people belong. Standing on the essentials, we are going to cultivate kingdom diversity. We believe that this is going to take place as we create a multiplicity of, of gender, economic, cultural, and ethnic, and generational diversity within not just the congregation. That's going to happen. We, we, we believe we're going to see that in these seats, but we're going to do it in our leadership, in our elected church officers, in our life group leaders, on our hospitality teams. We are going to go about creating and cultivating a place that looks like the kingdom that God has always intended. Because when he shows up, all people are welcome. We're building bridges for everyone to come in. But in our world, and indeed in the world for all of human history, that requires effort because we don't do it naturally. One of the most beautiful places this happens in scripture is in um, a church, one of the very first churches that come to be in a place called Antioch. This is found in Acts uh, 11 and then 13. Uh, and in that place, Antioch was this really important city. It was a super cosmopolitan, very urban, the third largest uh, city in the Roman Empire at that time. And, and so it's very much like where we, we would live right now. Um, it had lots of ethnicities and lots of people from different backgrounds that had come together. And the city planners decided that in Antioch, they were going to um, keep the peace by keeping people separated. So literally down the middle of the city, there's a wall that gets erected. And on one side are Syrians, on the other side are Greeks. The, the city of Antioch now is in Turkey, but at that time it was Syria. And so they kept them separated like that. But then over time, as more and more people from different places in the world moved to Antioch, they said, well, we we can't let them come all together and, and start colliding with each other. There'll be riots. There'll be, you know, pets' heads are falling off. It'll go crazy if we do that stuff. So we've got to keep them separate. And so literally Antioch built 18 different ethnic neighborhoods that they surrounded by stone walls. It kept people in their place according to their ethnicity. Well, what happens and you can read about this. This is in history. It's also in, in scripture. And as the church came to Antioch, the first believers said, we're going to create a leadership team that is multi-ethnic. You read in Acts 13 and you just read these names. It lists people like Barnabas and Paul and Simeon and others. And, and if, you don't, if you just look at their names, you don't know this. But if you dig a little bit deeper, they come from all kinds of backgrounds. There are some that are brown skin. There are some that are black skin. There are some that are rich. There were some that were poor, highly educated and lower educated people. There were folks that were rabbis before and others who were worship leaders. It is this beautiful mix. And they said, we're going to stand out as we create the church of Antioch because we're going to invite everybody in to lead. That was an absolute mind-blowing thing at the time. Well, you know what happened? People from all over the city began to literally scale the walls that kept them separated, and they came together to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And as they did that, they stuck out to the pagan Greco-Roman world. Did you know that Antioch is the place where believers in Christ were first called Christians. The reason that we got that name is because the world was stunned and, and stood up and took notice of the fact that there was something about the identity and the unity in this Jesus, that these followers of some just starting out, nobody really knew what was happening religion, that they found that identity and unity as more compelling than wherever they came from before. And that set the world on fire because they chose 
to climb over walls. We don't have stone walls in Charlotte that separate us by ethnicity, but we have every bit as strong and sturdy of barriers between us. Whether it's generational ones, whether it's ethnic ones or language ones, we've got all kinds here. And our call, we believe for force, one of our values is gonna be to tear down those barriers and let God create inside these walls what he wants to create. It's what Jesus has, has always been about, actually. In fact, let me, let me read you two passages of scripture to show how this is what he was always looking for. The first is in Matthew 28. Soon as Jesus is ready to, to leave earth after his resurrection, he's telling the disciples, here's how you're gonna build my church. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. I got this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Don't let this stay with just people who look like you and like you. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, this is huge. I am with you always, even to the very end. That was the marching order. And then we have this writer in the book of Revelation, which is picturing the end after human history is finished, when God brings his kingdom together and culminates and we start eternity. This is what it looks like. Revelation 7, 9. The writer says, after this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every what? From every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. It's as if the, the mission that Jesus sent them out on has been accomplished. And he's seeing, you did exactly what I asked you to do. I brought those people in as you were obedient to go and cross over those barriers. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who's seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Folks, if a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church makes you uncomfortable now, it's trite, but you are really not going to like eternity. So let's get used to it. Let's build it. Let's live this way. Let's, and here's why. The value is so important, not just for the sake of diversity. I mean, the, the world does that, right? Right now, here's a great example. The Olympics. Right at the beginning of the Olympics, when everything starts, y'all ready for the Olympics this summer? It's one of my favorite things to do. Like kids stay up late. It's, it's awesome. I love it. So this year, you're going to think about it differently because at the opening ceremonies, there's something called the parade of nations and every country walks in right with their flag. They're dressed the same. They bring the beauty and the essence of their country, their identity into that, that Coliseum. It's a really, really striking and, and beautiful moment. You know what happens at the end of the Olympics, the closing ceremonies, after all the competition's over? All the athletes walk in together, no longer separated by their country. They still have their flag. They still have their skin color, their language, but they walk in now together as if to say to the world, we are united across all the things that should separate us. That, that is a picture of us now and then the church in the future. That's what we want to be about. Uh, there's this writer, Philip Yancey. Uh, some of you may know him. He's a theologian and pastor. And, and he writes about this church at Antioch in specific. And he's talking about how the most striking characteristic of the early church, and indeed of us now, is the diversity that's inherent when it's done right. And he says, think about this for a second. He says, you know, Paul, who started many of those churches, Paul grew up. Uh, and as a young man that is a rabbi, he prayed this prayer every day. 
It was a prayer for the rabbis. God, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Literally, that was the prayer. This same Paul, after having his eyes opened and his heart awakened to the beautiful diversity God wants in his kingdom, he writes these words in Galatians. Now there is no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, all are one in Christ. In Paul's own life, the changes happen. Folks, that's what we want to be about creating here in this diversity. That same guy, Philip Yancey, was talking about an Indian pastor that he, he was uh, interviewing. And the pastor said, you know what? Where I'm from, in the heart of India, almost everything that a church does, that Christians do, can be duplicated in a Muslim or a Hindu congregation, including some miracles. The only thing that we don't see is that Christians, although not perfectly, continue to create communities that are not based on the caste system, the economics, or the race. That's what set it apart. So folks, Forest Hill, we're going to be about that as we move forward. Stand on the essentials. Cultivate kingdom diversity because our oneness is more important. It's greater than our otherness. And you know what? I just want to tell you right now. It's going to get messy. When you let cultures collide like that, it gets messy. And we're not just going to tolerate the mess. We're going to create the mess. Sometimes when I walk past, uh, you know, the, the living room or playroom, wherever the kids were, especially when they were really little, you walk past and you look and you see the like disaster that the room is of all the toys out. And, you know, there's, it looks like Lord of the Flies. Like you just don't want the cops to come. There's probably stuff they couldn't see in there. Sometimes you look at that and you're just like, eh, they had fun. I'll tolerate it. Sometimes you get down on the floor and you, get, you make it with them. You pull the stuff out. You hope that your wife doesn't come home and see what you've done to that room. But you, there's hair flying and there's laughter and there's all kind of fun. That's the mess that we're talking about creating. It is going to be a beautiful moment when we watch this place explode with the unity and diversity that God always wanted. Value number three. We're going to engage who's next. Engage who's next. By this, we mean the rising generation is the future of the church, requiring us to reach and develop them as disciples and leaders. We're putting a priority on the next generation. Now, listen to the way I just said that. A priority on. I'm not saying that this church is no longer for anyone over the age of 25. This is not at all what I mean. In fact, there's never been more of a moment where it's necessary for all of us, no matter our age, to bring everything that we have because there is an epidemic in the next generation that's got to be solved. And it's this. My generation did not do a good job of passing down the faith to our kids. So we've got a millennial generation across the country and in Charlotte. And many of you are here because you're bucking this trend. Many of you millennials. This is not you. And I'm so grateful for that. But for many folks in the city... The numbers walking away from faith, becoming de-churched, are staggering. And more than that, the generation following them, what's called Gen Z, the oldest of whom is 23 right now, Gen Z are two times more likely than all other generations to be atheist. Help me understand how a 14-year-old is not just um, unaware of or uninterested in faith in God, but is actually atheistic against it. It happens when we don't prioritize who's next. The scripture from Psalm 78 could be kind of our, our mantra for this. 
The writer says, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise, they, meaning the rest of us who were over that age, to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but to keep his commands. When we don't prioritize well the next, that's what happens. And as I look around the faces of some of you who are in that 25 and under age bracket, first, I want to cheer you on and say, you keep going. We are for you. We believe in you. We believe in you so much that we're willing not just to reach you and have you be a part of this. We want to start handing over leadership to you. And we want to be a place that empowers young leaders to point the way forward because we are better at building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ when those of you who are younger are fully engaged and fully involved. We're going to engage who's next. Fourthly and finally, we're going to bring our best. Bring our best. That means corporately as a church, we're going we're gonna to use the resources that you give. And, and the, in fact, not even your dollars, but your time and your energy, your volunteering, all of that. We're going to use that to be very focused on this mission. We're going to promise to be good stewards and to do excellence at the best level that we can with that, to reach and accomplish the mission. We're going to be all about that. And yet, it's not just that. There is an, an aspect of bringing our best, like the song we sang earlier, that's kind of recognizing, God, I don't really have anything to give this mind anyway. I'm just bringing what you've already given me. And here, use it how you want. And I, we're going to create a culture here. And, and I hope with everything that you'll be a part of it that says, God, I recognize it's all yours. Show me how to use it. Because this really is about who owns your stuff, who owns my stuff. And I, we want to live open-handedly as we bring our best to this table, as we give of ourselves independence, trusting God to use it however he wants. I think we're going to see incredible things happen here. I think we're going to watch young people like the nine-year-old kid that I met last week after service who said, I think God wants me to be a preacher. And he said, will you help me? Will you help me think about how to do this? And I'm like, yeah, as soon as I figure it out. Sure. Let's learn together. We're going to be a place that watches walls come down between those things that the world and culture says should divide us. We're not going to let that happen anymore. We're going to be a place that stands firm on the foundation. And I want to show you this, this video of this woman who's been doing that in our church for a really long time. Um, she, when we talk about next generation stuff, she's not exactly that. But she has lived these values in a way that's so beautiful before us, way before we put them into print. And I think you'll be inspired as you watch. So check out this video of Dee Dee Dewey. When I was young, when my grandmother taught me to sew, she taught me that you can make something beautiful out of rags, out of anything. That instilled in my heart that all God's creatures were beautiful. I, I think often of why God gave me that passion in my heart 
for those that are different because my family was not, my family was very prejudiced. However, when I was in high school, uh, I was a rebel, but I told someone not long ago that I was not really a rebel. I learned that God just took me out of a different chunk of clay. In the 70s, I had gone through um, marriage. I was a single mom. I met a person, this young man who was a recovering addict, drug addict, and he invited me to church. That's when I met Jesus. It totally changed my life. I wanted everyone I knew to know Jesus. I picked up every hitchhiker on the road. My son thought I was crazy, so I stopped picking up hitchhikers on the road, but um, absolutely changed my life. We got in the Word, studied scripture, uh, joined the church. We were surrounded by people who loved us, the body of Christ totally changed our lives. When I think about sewing, I think about how God uses us as raw material. He takes that piece of, of raw fabric to make a garment for himself, for his pleasure. And he cuts it out and he sews the, the creases, he sews the seams and uh, binds up the wounds and it comes out a beautiful garment. That's you and me, regardless of where we live, regardless of the color of our skin. He takes us one at a time, individually. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows the gray from the brown. <laughs> That's right. He made me what I am. And when, when I learned that Jesus loves me just the way I am, that's all that matters. <laughs> Thank you, Dee Dee, for leading the way. You go with your tatted up hitchhiker picking up self. You know what that shows me, though? And I hope it shows you as well. Tell me that you can't find yourself in this. Tell me you can't find a way to invest in the next generation, to be a part of cultivating a beautiful, diverse family of God that speaks louder than culture does. Tell me that we can't find a way to allow Jesus to be our priority and, and the gospel and the scriptures to guide us in a time of confusion. Tell me why you don't wanna be a part of seeing what might happen if we do this, because what could happen if we became known, not for our judgment and our division and all that stuff, but what if we became known for our love, for justice, for our generosity, for our multi-ethnicity, for our peacemaking? What if that happened in the next few years in this church? You wanna find out? You in? I'm in. Let's pray. God, this is your church. It is your mission. It's always been your mission. You've been doing the same thing throughout all of history. Using broken vessels, or as Didi said, tattered rags to create beautiful garments that give you glory. 
and give those disconnected from you new life and hope. It's what you've always done. And now we stand at this moment where you're asking us as a church to embrace these values of building something that we could not build on our own. We could not plan or strategize this. We, we couldn't figure out enough clever programs to make this happen. It's only going to be by your power and your inhabiting us and you're building it for yourself. So God, we surrender to that. I pray that you would help each person who's listened to this message today begin to find those areas where they need to align it with what you're doing. But God, would you give us all the courage and strength to say yes? Lord, I pray that you would rise up a generation of young people who are not only passionate for you, but are just absolutely incredible at leading their peers and passing the faith to those who are next and that we would get to not only participate but we get to watch and cheer and together we would walk into the next five years with you saying thank you that you let us be a part of seeing this beautiful thing take place God God I pray that you would tear down whatever needs to happen between us and in us and that you would take our lives and cause them to become overflowed containers of your spirit and your love, that we would build bridges, that Charlotte would be connected to you in a way that hasn't happened in decades because you used all of us to say yes in our individual spheres. And collectively, you put a power in place that changes everything, Jesus. We love you, we trust you. I thank you for this time and ask you now, come. As we all say together, amen, amen. Let's stand and sing together.